Welcome along to another episode of the Luton Town Supporters Trust. This is our monthly episode for October. I'm Kev, your host as always, and this month I am joined by the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe and a new member for our team, Trust Board member Helen Gatwood. Helen, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. Uh, Coming up on this episode of the podcast, we will discuss uh, two uh, player previews, uh, sorry, player focuses. The first one being Alfie Doughty, and the second one we'll have a look at the form of Chio Ogbeni. We'll discuss VAR. Should we keep it? Should we bin it? Are there ways to improve it? Things like that. We'll talk about Andros Townsend, which since the last time we recorded the podcast, he has now become a Luton player. And we'll talk about one or two other transfer rumours. And then I'll get the thoughts of Helen and James and our survival hopes as it stands. Before we start, though, thanks very much for all of the comments for all of the previous podcasts, particularly the one with Jacob Brown. We really appreciate the time that the players give us. And um, Jacob was excellent. So thanks for that. Usually we like to have a bit of fun on this podcast, James, but unfortunately we've got to start with something serious this month. And that is after the loss to Tottenham. It's been reported that Elijah Adebayo was subject of racial abuse on his Instagram account. And um, to be quite honest, it's bang out of order. It's out of order in our game. It's out of order in our society. And there is absolutely no place whatsoever for it, whether it's a player in a Luton shirt or any shirt whatsoever. Our game is for everyone. For all, we're right behind you, Eli. Hope you fight this all of the way. And if the person who is responsible for this is a Luton fan... I think I can speak on behalf of all three of us and certainly most, if not all, of the Luton fan base. You are not welcome at our club. We do not need people like that. We do not welcome people like that. And we will not tolerate people like that. This is um, this is a serious thing now. And uh, as Eli attributed to on his statement uh, on the club website, for him to be now be shrugging it off because it happens too often, it's just not good enough, James. No, it's not. I can't believe we're in 2023 and we still have to deal with this nonsense. And, um, you know, if if it takes one fella just m- missing a goal in football for the real side of you to come out and that real side being that horrible racism that we've obviously seen and he's seen far too much and many other players probably as well, then it isn't, it isn't good enough. And I feel, I feel really sorry for anyone that has to take that for just doing their job. Shouldn't have to take it for anything, should you? So, um, um, yeah, I mean, we've got to keep speaking out against it, calling it out. And you're right, you know, if if that person is a Luton fan, then we don't want anything to do with you. And I think most people will be the same. Um, you know, we've we've watched Eli for a couple of years now. We've spoken to him many times. He's a top bloke and top footballer, and he's got us to where we are now. Um, and and nothing changes about that, but what does have to change is people's attitudes. Yeah, absolutely. Eli had the balls to front up afterwards to James as we played you in the last podcast. 
and uh, you know he does not need to be subjected to abuse like that nor does anybody and I think Helen we sit at Kenilworth Road regularly we'd call it out if we heard it there is just no place for it yeah definitely you know just because you've missed a, a goal it doesn't mean that you should be subjected to anything like that there's no reason why anyone should be subjected to any form of racial abuse and as you say you know Eli shouldn't have to just shrug it off because it's happened again you know it's it's cowardly from whoever is doing this and they should be ashamed of themselves what are they gaining from it you know it's it shouldn't be happening indeed so as we said uh, if you're a Luton fan and you've done this Please don't come along. We don't need you. And uh, our players, our club and our society will be all the better off for it. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the more lighthearted and semi-serious stuff. And um, James, Alfie Doughty. I mean, he's, he's kind of like the Dan Potts of this generation, isn't he? That Everyone thinks that someone's been signed to replace him, but he's just going to come back in the side anyway, isn't he? Ryan Giles. Uh, club record transfer fee. Everyone knew that Luton were going to play the club record transfer fee to start off with, but Alfie's like, don't forget about me. And from that Gillingham game onwards, just been fantastic. I'm so pleased for him as well, because um, it's only sort of in hindsight, you just roll with it. After 12 signings over the summer, you just roll with what's going on and, and see what happens. But um, when I've been thinking about it in the lead up to this episode, I don't think it ever really sat right with me that just because a new player's been signed, they go straight in. Particularly when he's one of the players that did so well to get Luton to where they are. Um, and that's nothing against anyone that's come in, nothing against Ryan Giles, who's, you know, his direct competition, I guess. But um, I'm just pleased for Alfie, really, that he's he's had to bide his time a little bit at the beginning of the season, much like Tom Lockyer did last season. And when he's got his chance, he's grabbed it with both hands and, yeah, scored a absolute worldie f- in that Gillingham game and hasn't really looked back and you can't argue with the stats that he's putting up really. He's in them. He's in the top 20 in the top five European leagues for chances created. This is a Luton player. That's astounding. Yeah, absolutely. It's Helen. I mean, obviously Alfie was with us last season, played a major, major part in our promotion. And I think most people just assumed that we'd moved on and Ryan Giles was going to be the, the next man. But whether Alfie plays on the right instead of Issa Kapore or on the left where he has been playing recently, he just reminds everyone just how good he is and that he can't be dropped. Yeah, he, he has been astounding since he's got his place back. You know, some of the runs he does, the crosses, he, you know, he gives everything every single game and you can see that he wants to be out there. He's giving it his all and he totally deserves his place. Yeah, he really does. Uh, nobody has put more crosses in in the Premier League than Alfie Doughty this season. And when you think that for the first two games, he was only coming off the bench. Um, I mean, that says it all really, doesn't it? So basically in three quarters of the time that everyone else has been on the pitch, Alfie Doughty's put in more crosses. OK, some of those are corners, but that's fine. He's on corners for a reason because he's bloody good at them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he puts the ball on Lockyer's head or Morris's head or Jacob Brown's head or whoever's head, really. And uh, it's fantastic. But actually, since he's coming to the side, James, and this again is no slant on Giles, might just be coincidence because obviously Giles played against Brighton and Chelsea. But since Alfie's coming to the side, those goals against have dropped. You know, all of a sudden that left-hand side is a little bit more secure now, isn't it? And uh, yeah, okay, the team's improved, uh, as I say, as as a consequence of it. But it does show that, you know, 
both sides of his games in good working order. Yeah, and we knew that anyway, didn't we, from last season and everything he did. Uh, getting up and down that pitch is no mean feat for the style of football Luton played last season and, and now have to play in, in this season in the Premier League. So um, yeah, that that was never in doubt for me, really. Um, no pun intended, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, no pun intended. Um, but yeah, it's one of Luton's major strengths at the moment and possibly that's going to carry on throughout the whole season if he manages to keep hold of his place and play as well as he has been we talked about in the last episode sooner or later something's got to give in front of goal because if you're creating that many chances you're doing the right things it isn't going right at the moment in front of goal people aren't putting it in there but he's putting he's putting the ball in the box where there's going to be chances and that's the first step isn't it yeah, it is, yeah. It's not his job to put the ball in the back of the net, really, is it? It's his job to provide those that do put the ball in the back of the net. Helen, he was goal of the season winner last year for that cracking strike yeah. at QPR. It's going to take something special to beat his goal against Gillingham when we hand the awards out at the end of this season as well. Yeah, he could very well be a, a front runner already. Um, still plenty of time for, for that goal to, to be scored, but I think Alfie's definitely in with a, a shot of getting it for a second year running. Yeah, he is indeed. Um, I mean, he had a good chance against Spurs, didn't he? So he's he's among those players. (laughs) Exactly, he's among those players that weren't sticking it in the underbag. But um, in his prime primary role is to actually get the ball in there for the strikers. But and and he's doing a great job. It is um, those stats are unbelievable. When you look at the the top uh, chances created players in the whole of Europe, there's some. Big, big players in there. They mostly play for big clubs. You're looking at your Real Madrid's and your Bayern Munich's and stuff like that. And we're talking about a Luton Town player, uh, a Luton team that we think are doing really well. The rest of the world doesn't seem to, but that's the by the by. Uh, they're they're towards the bottom of the Premier League, and all these other big, big, big clubs um, have got massive names in that list. Yeah, they do. You mentioned stats and how well he's doing in compared to the top sort of leagues in the world. I watched England on Friday night. There was no recognised left back. There's no recognised left back in the England squad right now. Yeah, Ben Chilwell's injured. Yes, Luke Shaw's injured. Is there a world where if their injuries continue that Alfie Doughty can get an England call up this season? If you're talking purely on numbers, then surely, yeah. But we're not, are we? We're talking about Gareth Southgate's weird um, obsession with playing players that he is fond of or has done a good job from in the past when really what the England side and probably all national sides should be is the best 11 players at that point when the team's being picked um, and if that was the case then yeah sure Alfie Doughty should get a get a shot but we're talking about also a, an England side which not just under Southgate's watch but for my entire life at least and probably older people can say the same if you're in a team like Luton they're not looking at you. Look at James Madison last season posting great numbers for Leicester, but they were towards the bottom of the league, struggling, didn't really get a look in. Um, it, it remains to be seen whether he does now, but you'd imagine he would because he's, he's currently at Spurs who are uh, top of the table. So it's a very frustrating thing that you should, if you're good enough, you should get picked. But it, it doesn't, from a fan and, and somebody, I don't really pay much attention to England outside of actual tournaments because I'm not interested in friendlies and the qualifying half of them seem like friendlies anyway. So I don't really have a, a great grasp of of it that in that way. But 
throughout my football watching life, I can't think of that many players that have ever made a lasting impact when they're not in the big sides. And I think that has to change, but I don't ever see it that it will. Yeah, if Alfie changes his name to Alfie, Harry Maguire, Jordan Henderson, Dowdy <laughs> by Deedpole, he might have a chance of um, getting in that England squad. But whether he gets in there or whether he doesn't, he's doing a fantastic job for Luton. And uh, long may that continue over the rest of uh, this season. Helen, let's move on to the man who plays in front of Alfie down that left-hand side, Chio Ogbeni. When we signed him, there was lots of ridicule. Oh, what are you signing League One players for? blah, blah, blah. This guy's shone big time, and he? He's so quick down that left-hand side, and, and he's already becoming a fan's favourite. He's been phenomenal. Like, every time he gets the ball and he just goes, I'm just, like, get so excited. Yeah. And to see how well he's doing um, for Ireland as well, you know, he's getting man of the matches for them. He's winning them for us. And, yeah, absolutely brilliant signing. Yeah, he really is. I remember when he signed James, Rob was very strong on the fact that our game plan against Rotherham was about stopping him, wasn't it, last season? And I've got to be honest, at the time I thought, well, why? Because Rotherham were down lower in the table. He didn't really have much of an impression in that game. And, you know, you kind of thought, you know, he's just blowing smoke up his ass, really. But <laughs> actually, he wasn't. And you can now see why the game plan was to stop him, because it's quite hard to stop him, actually, because he's bloody fast. And... um well, he's just good. Yeah. Yes, he's very, very <laughs> astute at punditry there. He's just, he's just good. I'm on match of the day next Saturday uh, is, with punditry like that, mate. No, I like it. I mean, we should, we should be more straightforward like that. He's just bloody good. Um, it's one of the most exciting things, other than like a goal um, or a very fierce tackle, maybe, or uh, something like that to rile the crowd up in a derby, maybe. The sight of a winger just having the fullback on toast is one of the best sights in football and yeah I'm with I'm with you Helen it's so exciting just to watch him do that because it's it's a simple game football and all he does he sees 40 yards in front of him knocks it past him and runs he had Pedro Porro terrified against Spurs and you think how much he cost and where he's come from and the team he's at uh, yeah it's, it's, it's no surprise that Everybody's really jumped on board the geo train. Really, um, he is he is fantastic. And now you think now you think about it. If if Chio can make such an impact for Ireland, go back to your previous point. Well, why not Dowie? Yeah, and that was one of the reasons why I brought it up. There's an awful lot of Luton players that are playing internationally this weekend. Uh, of course, we wish them well. Glad that they're all um, representing their country. It'd be nice if Wales realised that Tom Lockett can start a game though, rather than bringing off the subs bench, but that's neither here nor there. Obviously, well, he plays for Luton though, isn't he? That's the thing. That's what I keep saying. Yeah, this probably yeah. proves your point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, oh yeah, unfortunately, Chio won't be going to the Euros, but that might not be a bad thing, particularly if Luton are preparing for a second season in the Premier League. We'll have him nice and fresh and everything else. Every single fullback he comes up against, you, once he's gone past them once, they just fear for him. And if he gets them in the book, then it's just like free-for-all, really. He, he, he really is like... The main outlet for us now. Yeah, opponents struggle to stop him once he gets going. And like you say, he knocks the ball around them and he runs. Being as quick as he is, you know, they, they're left for dust. And it's brilliant. <laughs> they really are. I mean, I've no sympathy for Ashley Young, obviously, from where he come from and where he's been <laughs> yeah. and everything else. But the poor sod had no, no answer to... Uh, 
to Gio that afternoon. To be fair to him, not many fullbacks have done. If we're being critical though, James, and you know, or analytical or whatever the word might be, does his end product have a little bit left in it? I think undoubtedly, and that's probably why he was playing for Rotherham, but also that's where Luton are picking up the players. They're picking up potential, aren't they? And they saw that, and that's obvious, and we're seeing that now. I've no doubt that they, you know, over the course of the season that gets better. Um, also, Luton are a team that play a lot with the ball as well, so he's got to make the most of those chances, even though we've talked about this in the previous one, <laughs> creating so many chances is untrue, but... Um, once once he skinned Pedro Porro, for instance, against Spurs, they doubled up on him a bit and kept him a bit, tried to keep him a bit quiet because he was that much of a threat. And that says everything, really, if a team like that are a bit worried. Um, they even moved, what's his face, over to the other side, didn't they? Because he wasn't coping very well. So, um, yeah, it, yeah, he will have to improve his final product. Um, he's another one that had a great chance against Spurs and uh, didn't, didn't fluff his lines a bit, but... So these things will come. Luton aren't buying the finished article anywhere, are they? Really? Um, they've, we, we've talked about this many times. It's, it's point to prove or hungry uh, and, and a young player that's that's got a bit of potential. And a, yeah, there's plenty of that in in Ogbeni. There is indeed. I mentioned at the start of our chat about him, Helen, that he's become a fans' favourite. He mm-hmm. kind of gets the fans already, doesn't he? Very often we see him like urging the crowd to give us give him more and. He's just got it from day one. Yeah, I've when I've watched interviews that he's done as well, he comes across very well, very level-headed, knows what he's doing. And, you know, we've seen improvement match on match, not just from him, but from, from the whole team, I think. Um, but him, he's definitely improved. Um, and every week he just gets better and better, I feel. Um, so I can see why he's a fan's favourite. I mean... You know, I'd probably say, yeah, he's one of my favourites. Um, but he, yeah, he just seems a, a really nice guy as well, um, which I think you need. He, they, he doesn't come across as big headed or, you know, bigger than his boots kind of thing. He's Yeah, there's no arrogance in him, is mm. there? And um, I mean, obviously we're away away yet from the player of the season presentation evening, mm-hmm. but you've got to think that even this early in the stage, he's going to be a contender for plenty of awards there that night. And um yeah, long may it continue and uh, hopefully he continues to go from strength to strength and uh, the town benefit from it. I've I've spoken to him on a number of occasions actually because because he's one of the best performers. When when after the game when we do the post match stuff with the players, you usually get you usually get the players that have performed well that want to speak. Other than like Elijah, like we talked at the beginning, he came out and fronted up and he was um, a very insightful uh, chat we had about that. But usually you get the best players and the fact that I've spoken to him three times this season uh, (laughs) says a lot, but he's a very nice guy and yeah, he's humble because you know, he's come from Rotherham. He knows he's got a lot to prove, but he's also an international as well. So some players might be a bit too big for his boots, but isn't confirmation. If you needed it, that James is a glory hunter after the (laughs) games. Um, (laughs) Hopefully though, you speak to uh, Chio an awful lot more because he's made an impression in an awful awful lot more games. Certainly as a new signing, I can't really remember one that's made an instant impression like he has. Sometimes they need a few games to get up to speed, don't they? Probably Marvellous would be the last one really, but even he needed a couple of games to find his form. Chio was on it right from the off, wasn't he? And, um, Different position as well. Was, uh, 
you know, Mar- everything Marv does is essential and, and it's not flashy though, is it? But ch- what Chia does is, is. Yeah, good point. Two different people. That's for sure. Yep. Keep up the good work, Gio. We, uh, we certainly love watching it. That is for sure. And hopefully we can get him on the podcast between now and the end of the season, uh, when these international breaks stop and we can actually, uh, get down there and chat to him. I'm sure we will do. Okay. VAR. Now we've spoken a lot about this on the podcast before, mostly in relation to decisions either for us or against us. But there has to be a way of improving this, doesn't there? Now, I've been watching the Rugby World Cup, as I'm sure most people who have listened or watching this have done over the last few weeks. And it's clear as day there. Everyone hears it. You hear it in the ground. You hear it whether you're on television. You hear what's going on. You can see it inside the ground. And it just works. Whereas in football, you haven't got a Scooby what's going on. Nobody hears what's going on. And all you get is a screen with some writing on it, which if you're sat right at the back of the stand, you can't read anyway. It's just, it's an absolute mess, Helen, isn't it? Because this is our first real season of it. And we've had a few, and you just get a white screen with VAR check. I mean, that's, that's not good enough. Yeah, you're left completely in the dark. Like you have no idea what's going on. Even if you could hear the conversation of, oh, we're checking for this reason or that reason or you know but like you say it's just a screen it tells us nothing <laughs> it it doesn't show you what they're looking at help <laughs> you know help us out we pay good money to watch this i mean the fulham fans are quite rightly protesting on their ticket prices um good money is paid the very least you can do is let us know what the hell's going on when we're inside the ground and ultimately, we, we're more important than the TV watchers. I know the TV brings in the money, but the people that pay to go provide the atmosphere. And as we know, football is nothing without the fans, circa COVID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Help us out. Even if it's the referee with a microphone just telling us what's going on. Someone just explain the situation. Otherwise, you just sat there for like three or four minutes and you're like, oh, shall I go for a pee? Shall I go and get a pint? What, what, what's happening? No one knows. It. And even the players are like... Do I throw this ball in? Do I kick it back? Or what's it going? It's a mess. It is a mess and it speaks to the absolute arrogance of the people in charge of our game that they can't just look at how well it works in other sports and you mentioned r- rugby. Transplant everything they do there into art, into football. It's, it, it's, it's a no-brainer. Everything they do there makes sense. You can hear what's going on. The people in the ground can hear it. The people on the telly can hear it. The screens work. You can see all that. The technology is there, and for football, the, you know, the biggest game in the world, not to use it is a shambles, really. Um, you know, in this scenario where you're having these uh, bad decisions that you can almost tell in real time because you've been watching football for long enough, and then you watch them back, and and they're coming up with a completely different um, reason for whatever's happened. The, the the one, the big one was when match of the day, we're talking at length, the Luton Wolf game about how it shouldn't have been a penalty because it hit his foot. That's not even in the rules. So if the national broadcaster come along and, and say that nonsense, which will then back up certain people's own feelings about whatever decision it is or the laws then it muddies the water. It doesn't help at all. Um, uh, uh, but that's And that's after the game. If while at the game, 
you're sat in the stands not knowing what the hell's going on. Even I am, because we've got a little telly. It's lovely. got a little telly on the, the press benches. It doesn't say what's happening <laughs> at all. No idea. Like I talked to you the other, other week, I only knew that um, a decision had gone to VAR when I heard it on the BBC later after I'd left the ground. And, you know, for, for absolutely no one to know what's going on is is shocking. For there to be no audio is ridiculous. I don't know what they think they're gaining from not doing that, not micing them up, because it, it works so well in other sports. Um it, it just seems so backward. You've got great technology that should work and it isn't for the fans. And that's the main thing. And then every month you have Howard Webb coming on television, talking through some of these decisions with the audio being played. Now, obviously the one that you've just referenced, the Wolves penalty incident was on his last program and he explained it. When you hear the actual conversation between the referee and the VAR, they were talking like we were on the podcast not you know like the match of the day and it, and it's just so obvious and nobody can really argue with it but because nobody heard it saw it or anything else everyone left the ground that day like well what happened there it's like it's so simple anyone who's watched the rugby recently it's so simple if you watch the NFL the referee turns his microphone on at the time where he's got to make an announcement of the decision. He announces the decision and he turns his microphone back off. It doesn't need to be on all the time. Literally only on. So if the if the argument is, are oh, the players are swearing and we don't want people to hear it, well, they won't be doing that because he can turn his microphone on and off. Well, also, send them off or book them if they do that. They'll soon learn, like they do with all these rules that come in, that they've, they've not, they can't do that. They can't surround the ref at the moment. That's a new one that's come in and stuff like that. So... If if that's a major concern, which I, I kind of suspect that might be behind it a bit, then there's ways around that. But to not even bother with it is 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 shocking. The the thing where you can't hear the conversation with the ref and the VAR, that needs to happen as well. But there this is what I talk about why I've spoke, said the complete arrogance of the game, because they've decided in their infinite stupidity <laughs> that the conversation that the ref and the VR have to have is a nondescript phrase which which leads you down to the situation that happened with Spurs and Liverpool where one thing one of them was talking about one thing one of them was talking about the other thing but like in rugby that, that's not it the referee makes a decision or he says this is what I think has happened can you can you tell me whether that's wrong or not they have their own words to do it, but that seems so simple. And if our game can't even bring that in, you know, this is why so many people are frustrated with it because it's so, so simple. Yeah. I mean, they keep on saying that they don't want the referee, sorry, the VAR to ref the game. Well, he don't ref the game in rugby, does he? He just merely says what he thinks is an incident. And then it's played on the big screen and the referee talks to the TMO and they come to a decision between them. If they can't do that in football, we really you need to get you need to get rid of it. And I, I guess that is the thing, Helen. Do we keep VAR? Is there uses of keeping it, or should we just say, look, refereeing was crap beforehand. It ain't really improved too much with VAR. Let's just bin it off. It's one of those things. When it works, it's great. When it doesn't work, it's rubbish. You know, um, you obviously don't want to rely on decisions being given by VAR. So if you didn't have VAR, then a lot of decisions could potentially be missed, although they still get missed with 
the AR in place. Um, like you say, if it was improved, I think it would be a good a good thing. I don't watch rugby. I don't understand rugby. I'm not going to lie. I'm a football person. Um, but the times when I have caught some of the rugby games in the World Cup, it makes sense when you hear the ref having that conversation. And it's kind of like, why don't we? Why don't we do it? it you know, it's it's such an expensive bit of kit and a bit of technology, and I don't think it's being used to its full potential for us as fans. Yeah, we're almost jealous of the way they use it in rugby. I, I must well, admit, I James, it, I, I think. W- it- what you just said there, though, if you don't if you don't watch rugby and you don't really understand the game, but even when that happens and you and that makes sense to you, mm. then that's that's perfect, isn't it? Because that's what you want people to understand a game. And rugby is a bit more complicated than football. Football's so simple, and if if you can just understand it from what they're saying, why isn't it brought in? It's, it's, it's like just football bad. is so simple but so complicated all at the same time. Mm. And actually, James, I mean, I, I must admit, I'm for VAR, right? I'm, I very much agree with Helen. When it's used properly, it works, it can be improved, and they need to improve on it. But Luton are going to either stay up or go down by a narrow margin this season, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want Luton to go down because Alino can't keep up with Chio Ogbeni, and he flags him offside thinking he is offside. <laughs> because, you know, if you're looking at from an angle behind him, he's going to look offside, right? I don't want his flag to go up and cost us the goal that keeps us up. But at the same time, I don't want to go to a ground and every three or four minutes, it all comes to a shuddering halt and no one knows what's going on. I mean, if you went to the cinema, and I know you go to the cinema quite a lot, H, and the film buffered every three Mm. or four minutes, or an advert every two or three minutes, you ain't going back to the cinema again, are you? And why do we get all this in football when, when every other sport seems to run... I'm not saying that every other sport gets the decisions right. No one would expect that because there's still humans involved, whether it's cricket, whether it's football, whether sorry, whether it's cricket, whether it's rugby, whether it's American football, whatever the sport may be, it's still going to be a human operator. But everyone can know what's going on so that there's no hidden... I don't want to use the word agendas. We've mentioned that before. But everyone would have an understanding of it, wouldn't they, whether it's right or wrong. And you wouldn't get incidents like that, Tottenham. Um... Liverpool thing because someone it would come to the head of someone like oh actually they're talking about the wrong thing here we need to you know because someone will have heard it and they've been whoa 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 that's not right that's not right but because no one could hear it they just played on thinking that everything had happened and they just made an absolute mess of it really but where where I also don't like it and I mentioned this to Jacob Brown in the interview that I did with him last week it's now got to the players they're not celebrating now or or they're reluctant to celebrate. He actually said to me, when I score my first goal, I want to go mad, but I don't want to go mm. mad because I might look like a twat. Mm. I mean, he didn't say that, but <laughs> that's me paraphrasing him. But Because yeah, I don't know whether it's going to be... Yeah, you know, he's going to go mad. He's going to be in the crowd. Chances are he'll probably get a yellow card and all that nonsense. And then it comes back. It, they don't rescind the yellow card and he ain't got a goal to show for it. it it's got to change, hasn't it? just feels like incrementally everywhere they're trying to take the ultimate joy out of football, which is goals. And if players aren't celebrating because of that, that takes it out. But then, like you just mentioned there, in previous rule changes, law changes over the seasons, 
you can't now lose your mind because you've just scored the goal. You can't jump into the crowd. You can't swing your um, shirt around your head. You get a booking. And it's just, why? That's just all nonsense. This is what we watch football for. Um, and as long as the player is jumping into his own crowd, <laughs> that's what the fans want. And that they're just trying to rip that away from this, this connection that we have with the game and the moment. And it just like leaves it all a bit flat, doesn't it? Um, and we've not, had, we've not had to experience this before. So if, you know, usually you've got a, a goal scored, you've got a split second. You can have a quick look at the line if he's got a flag up. And if he hasn't, you, you're golden. But this whole situation where he could have his flag up and then it goes to VAR and then maybe the, decision gets overturned it goes a different way or even if he doesn't and then it still goes there it, it doesn't it doesn't work for me at all it's uh, and I think it's the frustration of everyone really but um, I mean surely I, I think that they've got the technology there to be able to utilise it better and they don't and that's the frustrating thing and I've only watched a couple of clips of the Howard Webb thing Two decisions of ours was on it this month. Two decisions. For me, that's a thing that needs to happen every week. You can't a monthly thing is it needs to be part of the football package of every game where that a decision is made, decision is talked about um, there and then, so you understand. So it's not a frustration. I, I don't know the viewing figures for that. I would imagine it's not very high because who wants to watch it? Nobody wants to. Nobody wants it working as it is. Why would you want to go back over old decisions? With, that you've poured over for weeks. It's it's such a big talking point that it's in the press, it's on the TV, it's on the radio, it's all people talking about to have it a month later where he's just going to almost confirm what's right with his mates, really. It's just, who cares? Who cares? I mean, even if you did want to watch it, when you see Michael Owen presenting it, that soon uh, makes you turn the uh, channel over to something else, that's for sure. So um, I'm keeping VAR. I want those in-ground improvements to be made, referees to be mic'd up, show it on the screen. If we can hear the conversation between referee and VAR, then happy days. If we can't, at least the referee relay to the crowd what's going on. If that happens, I'm more than happy to keep VAR. As I say, I do not want Luton to go down this season on a lino who cannot keep up with the players. And I'm, I'm not disrespecting the linesmen. They're 50-year-old or however old they are. I wouldn't expect them to keep up with 20-year-old athletes. But I don't want to go down on that keep it bin it I mean it's not going to go away so I could say bin it all I like and it's not gonna, it's going <laughs> to stay there but you have to I think the the implementation of it has to change that's not right clearly by the even when you highlight the fact that they're not talking to each other in a way that's easily understandable when this they should be saying is that a goal can I change that goal not check complete what does that mean that means nothing so that's got to change but I've got absolutely no faith that it will because it has to come from FIFA. This is what we hear from Howard Webb. And they're not notorious for making very progressive changes, are they? They're the ones that bring in these rules that mean you can't celebrate a goal, can't fling your shirt around your head and stuff like that. And, you know, they are um, corrupt as you like, basically, aren't they? And then get James on the Sixth Nation World Cup. We'll save that for another podcast uh, keep it bin it I'm in the same mindset as you if they can make improvements to it then I would be all for keeping it but if it stays as it is 
I wouldn't see the point in keeping it, to be honest. Yeah. Those of us that go to games, we need to know what's going on. Otherwise, people will just stop going to games, particularly if you find out more on television than you do at the game. But if there's a, there's a book out called um, Can We Have a Football Back, Please? by John Nichols. It's a brilliant book. People should read it. In there, he details how little people actually watch televised football. Like I, I'm, I'm not interested in any game that doesn't have my team in it. So I, I really don't watch it. So I'm not. I know there are people out there that just consume football all the time, but I've got other things to do. So, um, that it's kind of there as a sort of a shop window to their other products, I guess, because it doesn't really make them a hell of a lot of money, even though they're putting in shed loads, and it that's where all money, football's money come from. When you read that and you, you see the sort of statistics of it, really it is down to people in the ground. Even though football fans that go to the games are treated horrifically, really, by football in general, um, they are the lifeblood of the game. And if then if we're not seeing that in a in a game and we're not hearing it and it's confusing, it it does sort of put you off a bit, and that's that's a big risk. It's a massive thing that they've got to get right. Yep. Sort it out. That's for sure. Um, Helen, when I was at the training ground last week for the interview with Jacob Brown, walking past me was a certain Andros Townsend. And we alluded to on the Tottenham Review podcast uh, that he was obviously in training with the club that had been announced. We kind of hinted, more than hinted really, that he was going to get a deal with the club and he has got that deal with the club. He's now the 25th, 25th, 25th player <laughs> in our Premier League squad. One of these days I'll get these teeth sorted out. Um, 25th player in our Premier League squad. And, uh, I mean, this is a well-known figure. Played for Tottenham, played for Everton, played for many other clubs, played for England. He should be um, just what we need, really, for that extra little bit of quality. Yeah, I think it's a, a good signing, albeit a short signing. Um, I think it gives him time to come to the club, show us what he's got hopefully help us along our ways come with a wealth of experience as well um which i think will really help the other lads um yeah i was really really pleased to see that he'd actually signed yeah i was as well i mean obviously when i spoke to him or saw him at the training ground he hadn't actually signed but as i say it was pretty obvious that he was going to sign the fact that he's only signed until january that i guess i mean rob alluded to he had to be right for both parties so i'm guessing this is a see if you like us, we'll see if we like you sort of conundrum. Um, but we said there can be no downside and there absolutely can't. I, the day that I was at the training ground, a, one of the young academy players was like picking his ears as they were walking out the performance centre. And I noticed... Picking, it, picking his ears. <laughs> whatever he does with Chewing his, his ears. Chewing his ears. You know, getting some info out of him anyway. And I noticed that there was a... Um, I saw a post on social media. I, I forgive, forgive me. I didn't catch the person who posted their photo, but Andros Townsend at training over the weekend, uh, was there at the same time as one of the very young age groups. And he was talking to the youngsters there as well. So even if he provides nothing on the pitch, and I'm sure he will provide something on the pitch, the experience he's going to provide to the people coming through our club is every bit as valuable as what he may or may not provide anyway. Yeah, that's part of the deal, I think, isn't it, really? It's, um, yeah, if you can impart that to even the young players coming through, but it'll be in the first team squad as well. Don't forget, most of these players, um, the Premier League's new to them. 
and they would have watched players like Andros Townsend over the years as they were growing up. It's, sometimes we forget really that the, these players are really young, aren't they? Because we, we're knocking on, but they're in their twenties, so they would have seen him. Uh, Andros Townsend's thirty-two, so you know, for all the time he's been in playing in the Premier League, which is over two hundred sixty games, two hundred sixty-two games like that, they would have seen him, um, and that has a massive impact when you see players like that. But it actually gets when he's been picked for England as well. Um, and he's performed quite well when he was there. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a no brainer to bring him in. Um, I, I wonder how much he's going to play because the 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 statement was a bit ambiguous, wasn't it? That he has he's obviously not played for eighteen months competitively, and so that's the thing. And he's got to come in. And they said something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, that uh, he's fit but not match fit, Premier League fit. Whether he comes in straight away, that makes me think he probably won't. Maybe he's an impact off the bench, which is not a bad one to have, particularly if you need a goal from somewhere and you can ping it in from 30 yards. That that could be useful. Um, so it is a no-brainer. Um, it's interesting that it's a short-term deal, isn't it? When, we, when we're hearing rumours about other players that they're after, that maybe January comes in and then that's the space. That's what I'm kind of thinking. Yeah, I'll come on to one of them in particular in a moment. Did either of you see the TalkSport interview that he gave, though? He gave an interview with TalkSport yeah. on yes. the day of uh, him signing, and he was like, I'm there to help out Luton in any way that I can. They're my local club. I want to help. If I don't play, that's absolutely fine. But I just want to be able to help and be able to progress and everything else. And I thought we all of our signings either have to be young and hungry or point to prove. And, and just that statement was... I've got something to prove and, I'll, and I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, he, he looks like he's up for it. Um, he seemed quite grateful to be given the opportunity. So I think he will come in and do his utmost to, to obviously help, be it with his knowledge, wealth, experience, or like you say, coming on as an impact sub and scoring that last minute winner. So he's here till January. We'll see how it goes. Obviously, there's no sort of pressure on him. If he can deliver on the pitch, fantastic. But what he'll deliver off the pitch, both in ramping up the competition in training, the experience of a Premier League head he'll provide with our players and that knowledge of the youngsters. I mean, if you watched him, I mean, the Crystal Palace Notts Forest game on telly last week was boring as shit, but his analysis of it was really good. So you know that there's a technical football brain in there. So if he's passing that on to our youngsters, then um, happy days. And I, I, I asked this actually when... Um, when we saw him walking around the training ground, we went in for the press conference, the Spurs one. That's when we were allowed to talk about it. And I asked Rob, is that the valuable thing? I mean, I didn't write it up because it wasn't as interesting as some of the other things that he said, but I asked him, is that the valuable thing that in the same way as Barkley's come in, who's there to prove himself and play as well, but has a Premier League experience and can impart that to some of the players and, and help raise things up that way um, and that I think is one of the reasons behind it so um, it is interesting that they've, they've brought him in in that sense If you'd said to us 10 years ago that Luton are going to be playing Ross Barkley and Andros Townsend in our potentially in our first choice 11 you'd have well the doctor would have been ordered wouldn't he it would have been um, absolutely bonkers but also James if you'd said to me that our chief scout was going to toddle off to Argentina to scout a 19-year-old Ecuadorian holding midfielder that goes by the name of Oscar Zambrano, who they tell me 
whether it's true or not, is the next Moises Caicedo, who is only two years older anyway. So, um, you know, they tell me that's who he is anyway. He's been scouted by Luton, who supposedly had a 4.5 euro, sorry, 4.5 million euro bid turned down for the fella, and they want 7 million euros for him, which doesn't seem like it's too much of an upgrade on that. This is all a bit weird, isn't it? It's a bit weird and wacky, this. I mean, South American footballers at Luton. Yeah, but I mean, it's worked so well for the likes of Brighton. Um, we've got Moises Caicedo, obviously, um, and many other players as well. I think, um, you know, with the constraints that Luton have on um, transfer fees, uh, even though you know, in Premier League and people say, spend all your money, it's not what Luton are about and it, it never has been. And I think I'm more interested in them spreading their wings a bit further afield and looking abroad in these far-fung places because there's quality players out there, obviously, that other teams are picking them up. And if they can pick them up, then maybe Luton should be picking them up. And it seems to me that that suits Luton's model far more. Um, not that they'd ever splash, you know, tens of millions of pounds at the moment <laughs> out on, on, on players, but that it fits far more with what we have seen of Luton and what we're used to. Um, I don't know the player at all, and uh, and I suspect there are a lot of people out there that are saying they do and don't either, because he's. Yeah, you, you tell me where you can get lots of footage from. Um, the what, what leagues does he play in? Argentinian yeah. league, I believe. Yeah. Um, so who knows? But um, you've got to, you've got to trust the, the scouting that Luton do because it's it's proved so effective so far. If we're talking in this episode alone about how. They've plucked Ogbeni out from Rotherham and now he's suddenly one of the best performers. Um, yeah, it, it seems uh, like a good move to me. And and if they want seven million and he's that good, I think, and Luton can afford it, then yeah, pay it. Because yeah, after a couple of seasons at Brighton, Garcido's just gone for hundred million pounds and that would look pretty tasty in Luton's bank account three or four years down the line. Yeah, that it would. It'd be an interesting one, wouldn't it, if we do sign him? Because I don't think anyone within the current ranks speaks Spanish. So uh, communication will be a, a good one. Um, this is all a bit new to us, isn't it, H? You know, South American footballers. I mean, well, I'm just getting used to Barkley and Townsend and that like signing. Now they're on about Ecuadorians and who knows what else is going to come along in January. It's exciting times. It is. And, you know, it's all the whole season is exciting it's all new to us, you know, it's a, it's a learning curve for sure. Um, but why shouldn't we look further afield? Like you say, if, if we can stretch to 7 million euros and he's a promising youngster, why not? I think I've got my um, currencies wrong, actually. I think it's 7 million dollars, not 7 million euros. And What's the currency trend? Well, I mean, the state, of, the, the state of old Sleepy Joe and everything else, I mean, that, that could contract a little bit before January, so it might actually go up, mightn't it? But we will see. It's it's definitely uh, a rumour that seems to have a lot of merit to it. They've admitted that they've rejected a bid. It was well known that our chief scout, not just, you know, one of the random scouts, a chief scout's gone out there to look at him, so there's obviously serious interest. And um, we'll follow this one over the coming weeks and months. Wasn't um, Ajax, one of the other teams, that originally when the story actually came out, Ajax were one of the other teams, which another another. I mean, they're a major European name, but they're one of the one of the teams that 
do so well in plucking players out from obscure leagues around the world and then suddenly making them into massive stars. Um, you know, they had, you think they had Luis Suarez come through uh, that team and what he's gone on to since is massive. So if Lutonus, um shopping in the same supermarkets as Ajax, I'm quite pleased with that. Amsterdam, Luton. Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Let's hope Luton can attract uh, Mr. Zambrano. And um, anyone else that we're looking at in January? As I say, we'll keep an eye on that and we'll keep on talking about it with our monthly podcasts if anything happens. Helen, this season, first season in the Premier League, you enjoying it? I am, yeah. Good stuff. If you listen to all the pundits, of which there are so many in this league, it's untrue. I mean, talk about coming out of the woodwork. I don't think the woodwork's strong enough to hold them all, but most of them talk crap. Um, You would think that we're bottom of the league in a worse situation than when we were at minus 30, but we're not. We're out of the relegation zone. We're out of the relegation zone on merit. Are you confident that we can stay up this season from what you've seen so far? Yes. Yeah. Okay, we've we've not had some results that we probably would have liked. We possibly could have got a few more draws out of some of the games. But like you say, we're we're 17th, we're above relegation. We're there on on points, not from anything else. Um everyone that's been to the games will have seen that we've improved from the Brighton game. Every single game up from that, we've we've improved. Finishing's the only little bit that I think we need to to work on. But I think once we kind of get there and we've got that confidence, and the players know that actually we can do a job in the Premier League, I think I think we'll be all right. Yeah, I would certainly wouldn't disagree with that. Um, in fact, any of that I wouldn't disagree with. I'm really enjoying the season. I'm fairly comfortable with where we are. I'll let the pundits be the miserable bastards that they want to be and we'll just keep on enjoying life because it's it's great fun. But we are out of the relegation zone, James. We didn't really know at the start of the season what to expect and how this thing was really going to go other than it's going to be tough. I mean, everyone knows that. It's 38 tough games in this league. But we're out of the relegation zone and uh, whilst there's three teams worse than us, happy days. Well, that's it, isn't it? And it, if Luton finish in that position, that's a successful season. And... um I mean, the main thing is the, the progression that we've seen, um, being able to uh, deal with the teams that they're playing and um, particularly, I think most pleasing. I mean, I think everybody would agree that Tottenham should have scored numerous goals mm-hmm. in the first 10 minutes. But after that, even if you take that game in microcosm, the learning that happened in that game to improve and then be the better side um, in the second half, albeit they had an extra man, obviously, but... Um, We'll take those little advantages where we can, can't we? But I think it's there's nothing that people should be getting too upset about, really. I know people throw their toys out of the pram with the amount of chances that Luton have had and haven't scored, and that's obviously a concern. Um, if, you know, if that continues throughout the whole thing and that doesn't change, then that will be a problem. But at the moment, um, I don't think you can say it is because the amount of chances that are being created. Um, and, yeah, something's got to click in that in that sense. There, there are players there that know where the goal is. I don't quite know what it is, whether it's a psychological thing because of, you know, you get to the Premier League and then suddenly you think everything has to be better. But we're talking not even getting shots on target. That's the start. Do that. If the keeper makes a save, great. If it doesn't, you've got a goal. That's got to be 
the main thing. I don't see how that sort of changes just because you've gone up a division. Um, although, you know, there were a lot of 1-0 away wins with Carl Morris scoring the goal last season, but we'll take that if that happens. Uh, but yeah, first goal seems to be a major thing at the moment, but I think there's plenty to be positive about. And the, the fact that people are, uh, so-called pundits are being all doom and gloom about it and that Luton should Luton are going down. Well, they're not at the moment because they're not in the <laughs> they're not in the bottom three. So how does that work? Can't I can't make it make sense? None of it makes sense with regards to this punditry. Um, <clears throat> yeah, don't worry about us. Worry about Sheffield United. They're the ones to worry about. We're absolutely fine. We're having the time of our life. We're going to keep on having the time of our life for another thirty games. We're going to enjoy them all. And what will be at the end will be at the end. But I'm very confident that we've got the bodies in the building and potentially more bodies to come to keep us above that relegation zone. Uh, we are improving with every game, as Helen quite rightly said. That's only going to continue as well the more we get familiar with this level. You can't really say the same about all these other teams, can you? You know, you're, you're Bournemouth. I mean, what the hell is happening to them? Yet to win a game. Sheffield United, they looked crap last season. They ain't really look any better this season. Everton are probably the ones, haven't they? Got a couple of wins recently, which we could have done without. And Wolves beating Man City was a pain in the ass. But all in all, we're right in there, aren't we? And let's have a good go at it. Yeah. I just say, keep going as we are. Keep enjoying ourselves. Let the pundits say what they like. And hopefully at the end of the season, we'll be saying, sorry, what was that you said? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely, we will. Yeah, we'll, we'll name them all one by one on this podcast, um, I'm pretty convinced of that. That I, is for sure. I think the only thing you can probably bet the house on is that those teams that are struggling down the bottom will sack their manager at some point and they'll get someone else in. That might change things. But the longer that they don't and they, they struggle, um, it's going to be very useful to Luton. I mean, you look at Sheffield United. They've been smashed 8 nil. They've lost, they've sadly lost their captain for a very long time because that was a horrific injury to Basham. I hope it's not a career ender. I don't think we've heard anything since, but, um, that's not a, that's not going to be a happy camp, is it really? Um, and there's all, there was talk earlier on in the season, even before that 8 0 drubbing, that they were going to replace Heckingbottom with Wilder. So that's the situation that's going to change. I can't see that the Bournemouth manager is going to be around for very long because there's nothing going right there. Um, so one thing you can guarantee is that Luton won't be sacking their manager this season. That those those will. So that might change the complexion of it. But at the moment, um, yeah, things are in a, they're in a, they're looking decent um, without like going too over the top because obviously we think we should have had more points there. There were points there, in the, certainly in the last couple of games that, um, that that like Rob said left out there, but. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I think that, like we talked about in the last one, there was reason to be positive even about the Spurs defeat, even though we're pretty disappointed that it didn't come. But largely, other than that, there was, there was some positive stuff. And I think that's that's where we are. Yep. This glass is half full in the literal sense, but it's <laughs> actually half full in the metaphorical sense as well with regards to uh, where we are right now. And let's hope we've got four games between the next internet, between now and the next international break. Let's hope we're still saying the same thing. Uh, when uh, we'll get bored stiff watching England in November as opposed to um, in October. That's it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks very much to Helen for joining us. Really enjoyed your company on this episode. Um, Thanks to James as well. Thanks to you for watching or listening, however you've consumed this podcast. Thank you to the Hightown Club. 
who have put us up once again. And we do apologise if you've caught any background noise. They do have some entertainment on downstairs today. Quite why they're clashing that with the rugby, I'm not sure, but that's up to them. Thanks very much to Sean Grant and the Wolfgang for our wonderful intro, which I know so many of you are enjoying. And to Ed Smith Creative for all of our designs and everything else. So thanks to everyone uh, for that. And until next time, come on you atters. Everyone in it has got this massive soul. We're local people.